The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Very nice to um, be meditating with other human beings <laughs> together in a, in a room. It feels pretty, pretty wild. Uh, we're living on the edge. <laughs> And um, are you able to hear me? You can, okay, yeah. It's also, uh, I have more appreciation, I was thinking during the meditation, I have more appreciation for what my children go through at school because they were, you know, they're in elementary school and they wear a mask all day. And, um, you know, and I don't wear a mask all day, usually, you know, just to go into a store or do something. And so it's... Uh, it's quite an interesting thing. But I, I think that they've gotten used to it. There's some way that, you know, kids are so resilient and they just adapt and adjust. And it's normal. It's the new normal in a way and until it isn't. And then we'll change. Um, but I'm grateful that uh, we can be together and, you know, even given the limitations and... And then say hello to all of our friends who are watching online. And, uh, it's it's also been such a gift to have YouTube and Zoom, and I really couldn't imagine doing Dharma teaching over the computer before all of this. But then you're like, you know, huh, actually works pretty well. <laughs> so. And and I appreciate the the accessibility of it. You know, there, I mean, there's something wonderful to be live in person, and you kind of have a certain energy of each other, or in a meditation retreat to be with each other and kind of encouraging each other. But um, not all of us can get to a center or retreat center, and there may be physical challenges or just life, you know, parents of young children, it's very hard to, to go away, to go overnight. So, you know, maybe one of the blessings of all of this is to have open, open things up a little bit more. Um, I wanted to share this morning a little bit about, well, it the, the talk, we'll see what, what, what it ends up being, but was inspired by this quote that I came across. And it's from the writer Guy Davenport. Um, and, you know, we hear a lot about the science of meditation. And it's you know, very, very interesting research that's happening and neurology, neuroscience, imaging, MRIs, you know, and this is kind of the world we live in. And so there's a way that when something starts to be backed up by science, you know, science is kind of our religion, right, in the West. So one of our religions. So when something starts to be validated by science, then it opens certain doors and it, you know, it's a good thing, maybe. Um, But this is not a quote about that. (laughs) So this is maybe the other side, which is the art of practice or the art of meditation. And I don't know if Guy Davenport was a meditator, but he was uh, a writer and an intellectual. And so he says, art is always the replacement of indifference by attention. Art is always the replacement of indifference by attention. And I think there's a way for me that this this sort of sums up our practice and maybe also could perhaps be a bridge connecting the sort of formal sitting practice or meditation practice with our life, 
you know, it's often a question that we have. Okay, I come to IMC or a Zen center or somewhere and and meditate, um, and that's good. But how do I bring this into my life? And so this idea that art, maybe the art of living or the art of Dharma, is always the replacement of indifference by attention. Um, What it made me think of is that there can be a certain kind of aesthetic, a certain kind of um, form of, of, of Dharma, of Buddhist practice. For those of you, you know, here, here at IMC, we have a certain form here, you know. There's a certain, you know, a certain, there's a kind of the Buddha and, the, you know, just, just the kind of the way this place is set up. Um, and we're pretty casual here. Um, I don't know if you've spent much time in Japanese temples or um, Zen places, but there's quite a strong aesthetic, right? You know, there's usually this spare wooden floor, kind of like the floor out there or something, just this, you know, simple wooden floor and white walls and black cushions. And... um, so I, w- I was thinking when I was driving here, it was like and walk, walking, walking in the building. It's like, oh, how much I've missed these forms. You know, there's something, I think there's something uh, powerful about being in a place that is dedicated to awareness, to wakefulness, to compassion. And... And there's something in that aesthetic, in those forms, that's transmitted. You know, it's like I could just sort of feel my nervous system uh, rearranging. It's like kind of, oh yeah, remember this place. And um, I remember when I... uh, first started doing Zen practice, uh, there was something mesmerizing about, so in Zen there, there's usually a priest who will, everybody's sitting already, and then the bell rings, and then the priest comes in and offers incense and, and bows to the Buddha, and then just does a few things. But I remember just this, I'd sit and I'd wait and then slowly the door would open. You could hear the door and you'd hear the, the rustle of the, the teacher's robes. And, and the students were all facing the wall. So you're not exactly watching this. Sometimes you are. It just depends on the, the situation. But there is something kind of mesmerizing about it and the smell of the incense and um, so there are these certain forms it's a kind of an aesthetic different cultures have different you know there's I don't think there's anything particularly you know sanctified about one or the other different cultures different groups different you know traditions have have their own forms. One of the one of the things that took me a long time to get my head wrapped around with Zen practice was it seemed so particular and nitpicky. You know, if you don't bow, you don't bow like this. You have to bow like this. You know, and they, and they will correct you. You know, so you pick your elbows up when you bow. Oh, okay, okay. You know, and then. You don't enter the meditation hall. I'm trying to remember. You don't enter with your left foot first. You enter with your right foot first. You know, so this is like, okay. (laughs) Okay. And um, so 
some of them were lovely. Some of these forms were really lovely. Like in the monastery, whenever you would pass someone on the road, you know, kind of the path, the form was, you don't, you don't, hey, you don't turn to them and say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? You pass them. And when you, when you get to about level with them, you each bow silently. It's a very lovely thing. And it's a kind of acknowledge the other person. You're not stopping to chat. You're not asking anything of them. But it's this, you know, it's this kind of harmony. You're in harmony. You meet each other. And so, of course, there's a form for that. And there's a, you know, and, but, but these forms can, can feel, um, can feel strange at first and it can feel like I remember being exasperated this is so random why the left foot why not the left why the right foot what um, but after I was away for years from 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 Zen uh, Zen temples and then when I went back you know one morning in San Francisco for a, a Saturday morning talk and I couldn't believe how emotional I felt <sighs> smelling the incense, <sighs> the bow, and <sighs> there's the, you know, everyone kind of, when you do a service, people kind of line up and there's a certain circling, kind of like a mandala. And I felt really emotional. And there was a kind of poignancy to that. And, it, and I thought, oh, wow, these went in in a kind of deep way. And even though I just grumbled the whole time, oh God, why we have to sit here like this? And there's a certain very uncomfortable Japanese way of sitting, which is called seiza. (laughs) I think it's uncomfortable. Most people think it's uncomfortable. I mean, after a while, I think everyone will be uncomfortable. But it's like sitting on your knees on a hard surface. <laughs> Sound, sounds nice. And so you sit like that for service. And so all the chanting and all that. And, um, but I even enjoyed that, you know. Um, and, and so what I want to say about these forms, and so here at IMC, we, you know, we're, we have our own forms and our own way of doing things and our own way of being together. And, um, but you kind of expect if you come here, there's going to be a meditation. Someone's going to ring the bell. Um, people are going to be, treat each other in a certain way. There'll be some teaching. You know, we have our own forms and our own rhythms. And, what I wanted to say about these forms is that um, you know, in one way, there, there's something very wonderful and helpful about ritual, you know, and it doesn't have to be a you know kind of exotic ritual or something that feels, wow, that's so, like like for me, incense was, wow, that's, you know. But just the value of ritual, the value of doing something again and again, and the, that there's a kind of um, safety, I think, in that kind of predictability um, I think of I think of my children, and I think I think children in general are like this. That children really thrive on predictability and stability and routine. You know, we have our routine for everything. There's a routine for getting ready for school in the morning. There's a routine for going to bed. There's a routine for you know, and we do the same things. We brush our teeth and take a bath and this, this, this story. And, this. and before I had kids, I would have thought, oh my God, I can't imagine doing the same thing every day. 
you know, that sounds so boring. <laughs> you know. And but I have to say that I delight in these routines. I kind of look forward to them. You know what I I have my own routines. I make a coffee in the morning, and that's a routine, right? And you have to, you know, do I exercise or do I this or that? But there's a way that that um, because we've set up these forms, we can relax. It's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. Oh my God, how are we going to get from here to there and get the kids dressed and fed and blah blah blah? No, we know how we're. Everyone does their thing. They unload the dish. They're supposed to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> Feed the dog. We do this. We do that. You know, and because we know what we're going to do, we can relax. And there's a part of us that can just let go into that. We're not thinking so much about what we're going to do. So, ide- ideally, it doesn't always play out like this way, but ideally we can um, you know we we can let go a little bit and we can appreciate you know this moment what we're doing now i don't i'm not worried about the next thing i know what's going to happen and so um th- there can be a tremendous benefit to to the ritualization of life. You know, and I think in a Buddhist monastery, they have taken this to the 10th degree or whatever of the, you know, in the classical texts, I think for monks in our tradition, there's something like, I don't know, 200, 300 rules that a monk has to follow, a nun has to follow. If there, there's a way to wash your face. There's a way to wear your robes. There's a way to walk. Why? You know, it, it's not because there's some universal, absolute, best way to wash your face. And if you do that, you're going to, you know, whatever, get some great karma. It's that, um, I think... When, when, when life is imbued with a sense of ritual, then there's something that gets elevated. It's not just this random, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And this is one of the things I realized in the monastery, is it's like each of these forms serves to bring us into the moment. So you don't just barge in to the meditation room, boom, you know, schlep in. <laughs> you know, there's a, you stop. And at least for me, I had to look down and think, because my right and my left are a perpetual mystery to me. Oh yeah, walk in on this, you know, and there's a way that these forms help us to be aware. And we don't just plop down on the meditation cushion. You kind of, you, you know, in that tradition, you bow to the cushion, you turn around, you bow to the room. And there's a way that um, all of this ritual and these forms and this aesthetic, it sort of elevates the ordinary. What's something that's ordinary that we don't even think about, we never think about? Well, you have to think about it because there's a way to do it. And so little by little, I came to appreciate, um, yeah, just, just the ways that through form, through ritual, through repetition, um, it helps us to be more conscious. What's been on autopilot sort of becomes conscience, conscious. And, um, and th- yeah, and then at, at a certain point, and this is when it's very nice, it's like it becomes second nature. You know, so now for us, when it's time for the kids to go to bed, we know what to do. It's second nature. We're not trying to figure out, oh, do we, 
Should we brush our teeth tonight? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good idea. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, this is what we do. This is what we do. So, and so after spending some time in these training places, in these monasteries, when I went back to my life, and in one sense, I was, there was this great sense of relief and freedom. Okay, I don't have to wake up at four in the morning. I don't have to do this. I don't have to sit like this and someone's watching. And, um, but a funny thing kind of happened. And it was, it was like I started to see or appreciate a little bit what I like to think of as the forms of everyday life. You know, is there some way that we can look at our life, look at our space, our home, our routine? And is there some way that this can be elevated, this can be seen as, um, you know, kind of a practice? It's, it's a form. It's a, um, one of the things I love, I don't know if, if, if they still do that, but I, I know my kids and, in the previous school, they lined up, one of the forms was all the children lined up, and when they entered the classroom, they shook the teacher's hand. I probably, I'm sure they don't do it now, because they're not, <laughs> no kisses, no handshakes. But they would shake the teacher's hand and look at, look at the teacher in, in, in the eye and say, good morning, you know, good morning. You're in this kind of meeting this meeting, this form. And it's a little thing. You know, they could have just all ran into the room chaotically. But there's this kind of moment, this moment of meeting. And so, what are the forms in our life, you know, that we can in some way bring this kind of care and bring this um, recognition that there's an opportunity here. You know, sometimes I, you know, in, when I'm lucky, I think about this when I'm driving. You know, driving is a great example because almost always we're driving in order to go somewhere, right? We're, you know, we're kind of we're there's a there's a utility to it, and we can be so focused on where we're going, you know, like I'm late and this or that, that there's almost no attention paid to how, how, how am I right now? How am I driving? How am I wielding this awesome responsibility of being in this, you know, weapon, basically? <laughs> um, how am I caring for all the other drivers on the road and the the pedestrians and the bicyclists and the animals and the, you know there's a lot a lot going on when we drive and you know sometimes I'll see someone who's a child who looks really young but who's like on a bicycle and the bicycle's kind of <laughs> you know and they're bike bicycling to school or bicycling home from school and I just feel this wave of tenderness it's like oh right oh yeah this is sacred. This is a sacred responsibility I have right now. And what is it to just, you know, just let that, let that resonate. And, and it changes me. It changes how I relate to driving. Cha- you know, in that, that feeling, it's like, oh, I want to take care of this person, this child. I want to, you know, and... Sometimes, you know, sometimes I listen to the radio or the news or something when I'm driving. But sometimes I turn it off and there's this wonderful silence. And it's, I often feel like, you know, I don't know if meditation gives, gives anyone mind reading powers. I once asked my Zen teacher, um, can you read minds? And he said, 
I can read Dick Cheney's mind. <laughs> This is a while ago. Um, but when I'm driving and there's silence and it feels like I'm harmonizing with the car and harmonizing with the road and then I'm aware of the other drivers and I can kind of perceive what they're going to do before they do it. Right? You know, people, there's, this, there's a sort of okay, this person's going to probably try to get over, or this, you know, or, or that person looks really distracted, or this, you know, you sort of just, there's a whole other way of knowing that um, I think we can often miss. You know, if I'm caught up in some story or idea or listening to something, that intuition is sort of, um, it's a little bit covered over by the kind of conceptual mind. So, you know, this idea of the forms of everyday life, And then I think, you know, so, so maybe we could say that to see, to see our life as form or ritual, um, you know, has certain benefits and brings us into the moment, perhaps um, makes us more aware, more conscious. But then I think the perhaps the most powerful way of understanding ritual and understanding this idea of kind of repetition and form is what is it to um, know exactly how to say this but to separate form little little bit of separating form from function. Usually we think of the form, the purpose of the form is to, you know, the reason we drive is to get somewhere. But this idea of, while acknowledging, yes, we're going to drive to get somewhere, what is it to totally let go into the experience of driving And I think there's a different way of relating to it when it's not merely a means to an end. You know, a great example with, you know, children. It's like, yes, there's children go to school to learn different skills, to build those skills and to be, you know, functioning adults. But I don't think it's accurate to say the purpose of a child is to become an adult. You know, a child is a child. A child is perfectly a child. And is in this moment is perfectly expressing who they are. They are totally occupying the form of childhood. They're going to have the hopes of a child, the dreams of a child, the, the awareness of a child. And that's not wrong. That's not incomplete. There's actually something perfect about that. And so, so what about meditation? You know, is meditation, is it like driving a car? And we're driving, when we meditate, we're driving to, I don't know, where? Enlightenment? A perfect calm mind? An empty mind? Uh, compassion? You know, Maybe, maybe those will be destinations for us. But maybe the deeper meaning of meditation is um, not so much as a vehicle for something else, but as its own expression, its own complete expression in this moment. When we sit, when we're here, when we're breathing, that's enough. That's totally perfect in itself. It's not like we breathe and breathe and we're breathing to get to the, to where, you know, the end or get to some perfect breath. It's like, no, the form is, is the function. When we take this posture, 
and take a breath and let go of our preoccupations. This is it, you know. Um, There's no moment in the future where we'll be more alive than we are right now. We're already here. We're already alive. We're already present. And so I think the great uh, mystery and paradox and gift and invitation of Dharma practice is to accept what we already have. You know, we're always so preoccupied with what we don't have and what's over there and what we could have had. And we, we really don't see this amazing treasure, this amazing gift that, um, that's already here. So, art is always the replacement of indifference by attention. The shift. These, these moments that have been ignored, have been, well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. That's, you know, that's just, you know, these, these get blessed with awareness, with care, with kindness, with love, with attention. You know, attention is such a powerful form of love. Um, I think that must be why we love dogs so much. (laughs) You know, I'll just be in my own dream world and then all of a sudden I'll notice someone's just looking at me and gazing at me. (laughs) They're waiting for a treat or something. But you're ready to go play. But I'll just look at my dog and just looking at me. (laughs) You know? And... So what is it to bless all of these moments of our life with with this attention? Um, I'll just share one more quote from from Guy Davenport. He said something that, again, talking about art. Art is the attention we pay to the wholeness of the world. Art is the attention we pay to the wholeness of the world. So that idea of appreciating the wholeness and appreciating uh, each each moment, each thing, uh, is great, great gift of of this practice. Thank you very much. Do we do questions, or you you want you know you're you're welcome to stand up and stretch and but if you if you have to go but if anyone would like to make a comment or a question or please feel free. And I don't know if we're going to pass a mic or I could also just repeat the question if you have something. But. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll repeat. Okay, yeah, so, so f- just to repeat, just appreciating the reminder to accept how life is right now and, you know, versus being caught up in ideas about the future. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you very much. And I, I think um, it can be one of the great insights of meditation to begin to notice how much we think about the future. <laughs> and um, 
And then there can be another insight on top of that. All those thoughts I had about the future. (laughs) The future was totally different. Never worked out that way. You know, and, um, or maybe sometimes it does, but, oh, I, I appreciate that. And, and we can, we can realize that thinking about the future is something that happens in the present moment. You know, it's just another, something that we can notice. Um, It's probably important to think about the future. You know, it's, a, it's an important function of, as, of a person to be able to do that. But in meditation, we just get to, to notice, okay, how is this operating for me? You know, I notice for myself thoughts about the future um, sometimes can be fueled by an emotion like fear. It's like, well, like I'm worried about this and I'm going to think about it and nail it down the way I want it to be. <laughs> so it's, you know, and um, so just to notice, just to notice all of it. It's, yeah. Uh, just one other thing that comes to I remember I once asked uh, my teach one of my teachers who was about to give a big talk, you know, a big talk, just a Dharma talk, but it seemed very big to me because a room of like a hundred people or more in this very formal setting. And I was walking with him down the stairs on his way to give the talk. And I think because I couldn't imagine, I mean, I, I sort of put myself in his position. I thought I'd be out of my mind with fear going to give a talk, you know, a public speaking or something. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't imagine it. So I, I asked him, I said something like, you know, just sort of blurted out. I said, are you thinking about your talk? You know, or something like that. <laughs> and he kind of laughed and he said, I'm just walking down the stairs. <laughs> you know, it is a great teaching. It's great, you know, like even if we're heading into, you know, whatever it is, something where, you know, the dentist chair, that can be, you know, people can be nervous about that, right? Or whatever it is. It's like, but right now I'm just walking in, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I'm just doing what I'm doing. And it was this great, you know, the more practice we have to just do what we're doing. And then it's like things, you know, like what we were worried about, maybe, you know, just that just takes care of itself in a way. Um, yeah, thank, thank you. Good to see you. Yeah. Um, Did everybody hear that? Just talking about the the idea of ritual in yeah, just just seeing our kind of morning routine through the lens of ritual, and you know, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's something that we can sort of play with and experiment with and see what brings us joy. What are the rituals that I, I, a friend recently posted something about um, they were making coffee with an automatic you know, machine and then had the idea to get out the stuff to do the kind of hand pouring he said, oh my God, we've been missing this taste. And it was so, you know, all these years and it was so, so beautiful to just take the time and do this. And, and you know, and, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, as much as our life can allow us, um, 
I, there's something wonderful about that. And for me, this is a way of bringing a kind of meditative perspective, you know, into what's our... We're going to be making coffee anyway. We're going to be driving the kids to school anyway. Um, how can we... How can we savor this and, and, and um, perceive its what 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 is sacred about it? What is special about it? Um, I think maybe when we have some kind of encounter with the fragility of life. mortality, the preciousness of time, there can be this, uh, these ordinary moments that I've just been on autopilot are so special, you know, and I want to savor them. Um, I already see that my children are, you know, they're nine and seven, they're a baby too, but like the nine and seven year old, they're sort of like they're going on like 35 or something, you know, they're, they're all kind of on their way. And it's like, oh, I remember when they were, you know, a little younger, a little more innocent, a little more. And so for me, it's just this, just this reminder to appreciate this because this is going to change. This is going to be, no, we don't know how, we don't know when, but this is going to change to something else. And to just appreciate this. Um, so, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. What? Um, I really appreciated your talk today and found that it was continually bringing me back to the present. Last night I got a phone call from a very dear friend that her husband who had been suffering from dementia, had died a couple days prior. Mm -hmm. And so um, I found myself, you know, I sent out word to many of our former co-workers to let them know and found my mind going back to memories of this very kind and gentle man and then forward to... Um, attending the funeral and so forth so from the past to the future and I appreciated your talk uh, bringing me back to the present and it's um, I guess there's nothing like the fragility of life as you said to help us recognize that someday we too will not be here Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to echo back what you said about uh, shifting the attention. Um, particularly earlier after you said that, I recognize how we can shift that attention and it changed the, the way how we relate to the world and all things. And when I look up outside this tree, by the window. Wow, this tree I've been here many times. It's a very ordinary tree, but all of a sudden I feel a very different feeling towards it. And how you talk about seeing kids on the street riding their bicycles, how often we see that, but we don't really think much of it other than we were in our head. And how the whole essence of being mindful, being the present, the enlightenment that we are seeking all the time isn't to be on the cloud nine, it's just this mundane daily moments when we can actually get in touch. So very beautiful, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's the, I think, this shift in perspective is like the, this is the pivot point of Dharma, of, 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 of Buddhism. It's like we're not, 
it's like nothing changes, but everything changes. You know, when we have that shift, we're able to, oh, see these things I never saw before, but they were always right here. And what a gift to bring that, that awareness, and that, sh- that, that shift into our life, into our relationships, into our work. Um, you know, it's, it's like, this is like one millimeter shift or something, but um, yes, no, thank you very much. Um, this is more of a comment. But that something that has helped me is actually to have gratitude, like when I'm making tea or being coffee, to actually say thank you to the water. If I actually pay attention to water and how much I use it, but to just say thank you to the water, I say thank you to the gas stove and the gas water heater. It's like, okay, gas, oh, that's petrochemicals. But just having a sense of, okay, this tea kettle, it's metal, where'd that come from the earth? Where'd the gas come from the earth? And just taking things back, but, yeah, trying to take it back to having a sense of looking at, you know, what's making this tea. Okay, herb spices, where they come from? The earth. Farmer's son. Um, it's a cycle, but it really helps bring me back on necessarily maybe mundane things. Washing fruit again. Oh, there's hot water again. Um, yeah. It's a simple thing, but it helps my... Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, this is gratitude, gratitude practice, you know, appropriate for our Thanksgiving um, holiday and just appreciating the the, uh, interconnectedness of things. When, When my kids leave food or rice, you know, don't eat everything in the bowl, Sometimes I tell them, they kind of roll their eyes, whatever I say, a farmer spent a whole year to grow that one grain of rice, you know. And just think about that. (laughs) So, right, I I love it. And I think we, um, it's easy to not, not think about that and not notice it, so... Thank you. you. Thanks for the talk. And I really uh, enjoyed and appreciated the discussion of, um, you know, forming new rituals and kind of, uh, uh, you know, paying attention and creating new routines that allow, like, a sense of safety and security and stability. And, and, you know, and I'll just say, for me, like, meditation, so much of it has been about, you know, letting go of habits and kind of undoing the automatized way of being. And, and so like, I, I'm hearing that you know, meditation, like paying attention can help really create new habits or, or ways of relating like in an intentional way. But it also like such a big part of it, at least for me, has been undoing habits and undoing uh, those routines and just not automatically going to the next thing. And, and so that's kind of a paradox, but I was wondering um, if you could just say a little bit about that. It's interesting. You know, thank you. It's a it's a great it's a great observation, and I think um, you know I sort of think that as a as a human being, we depend on habits. You know, we're always we're always forming habits. We're always practicing something, whether we realize it or not. So am I? Pre- so it's exactly what you said. It's like being conscious about the habits that we're creating. Everything we do, you know, we're, we're priming ourselves to do it again. If I, if I lash out in anger, not only am I, um, or impatience or something, not only am I angry in that moment, but I'm creating that groove, that pathway. And so the next time, it's, it may be more likely that I'll, I'll kind of have the same reaction. So I think just that acknowledgement that we're sort of like habit-making machines. Everything we do is, is sort of setting in place that for that to happen. It's more likely that will happen again. So then what are the habits we, wanna, we, we want to establish? And what are, and what are the habits that, that, as you said, 
aren't useful, aren't helpful. Um, maybe we inherited in some way from our own, you know, background, and say, "Well, I always do that," and but I never decided to do that, or it's not really good for me to do that, and. Um, so I, so I, you know, I, I love it, and I, and I think that, um, you know, and as I, I was saying, even even with these, for me, very awkward, random-seeming rituals in the monastery, at a certain point, even they become second nature when you're there. You know, it's like, oh, this is something you do, and and there, and there's almost. It's not a bad thing that it becomes second nature, but the danger is we lose our awareness. But the good thing is, when it becomes second nature, we can really, I don't know, I, I want to use the word individuate. It's like, it's like if you know, um, look, you know, so I'm in the process of learning Tai Chi. You know, and so Tai Chi is just like these thirty-seven postures. You kind of, you know, kind of. So there's a kind of choreography that you have to learn first. But that's just the beginning. I mean, that takes years to learn for me. <laughs> but you know, we have got time, right? So you learn the choreography, and then you think. So one way of thinking, the usual say, "Okay, I'm done. I learned it." But actually, that's just the beginning. Once you know the choreography, then you really get into it. You really feel the energy. You understand, how do I shift the weight? How do I... You know, there's a kind of personalization to it. And, a, you know, it becomes alive. So, once, you know, maybe in a way, once we establish these habits, then we, we bring them to life. You know, and we're not so much thinking about, okay, which foot do I, you know, you know, it's like driving a car. We don't think about it anymore, the mechanics of it, but there's still so much there to, you know, such, such a practice. Um, so, yeah, oh, thank you very much. Okay, well, um, appreciate seeing you and and, and being here and uh, yeah be well have a good holiday thank you